Hi, and welcome to On and Off, our podcast covering the on-premise and off-premise beverage alcohol industry. I'm Melissa Dowling, editor of Cheers. And I'm Kyle Swartz, editor of Beverage Dynamics Magazine. Before we jump into today's guests, I want to talk to you about our On and Off Beverage Week events happening June 13th to 15th in Orlando, Florida. This week of events includes our annual Beverage Alcohol Retailers Conference, put on by Beverage Dynamics Magazine from June 13th to 15th. Bark, as we call it, is the only off-premise retailer event in the industry. It's for independent retailers, large and small, with three days of high-level education and valuable networking. Beverage Week also includes our Cheers Beverage Summit, also June 13th to 15th, put on by Cheers Magazine. Intended for on-premise beverage executives, this event includes product and resource discovery, cost-saving ideas, best practices, thought-provoking panels, and unique networking opportunities. We hope to see you all there. Getting into today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the subject of legal cannabis. Yes, and our guest is Seth Goldberg, who serves as team lead for the Dwayne Morris Cannabis Industry Law Firm. I imagine the field of cannabis law is pretty busy these days, so thanks so much for joining us today, Seth. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. And Seth, speaking of the uh, cannabis industry being very busy, how would you describe the current state of the legal cannabis industry? Um, Well, I'd say it is uh, moving higher along an upward trajectory. Uh, The industry has uh, been growing for the last 10 years or so, Um, but regulatory restrictions have really kept it from reaching its optimal potential. Uh, Some report that global sales in 2022 for the industry are projected to be upwards of 35 billion. And in the US sales could be as as high as 30 billion. Uh, That said, I think for the cannabis industry to really be fully optimized, the regulatory regime has to change. And I expect Throughout this podcast, I'll, I'll touch on a few of those areas. Well, then let's just jump right on in. I mean, we were going to ask this question later, but what, what is some of your best case scenario regulatory? Um, uh, how, how would you say the best case scenario for cannabis being regulated, would you say, is a good way to help um, grow the industry? Um, well, it, it, it's really interesting. I mean, right now with the federal prohibition of cannabis, which has resulted in a state-by-state market, uh, it has in some ways benefited uh, certain players in the cannabis industry. Some some folks have been able to take advantage of the regulatory regime. Uh, You've got companies that have really achieved efficiencies in terms of having licenses in multiple states, even though they can't sell the product uh, nationally under one sort of manufacturing program, they're able to sell in multiple states with various licenses and various licensing arrangements. Um, Those folks might not think that a change in in the regulatory regime would benefit them, but I think by and large, most feel that uh, something has to happen in terms of the federal prohibition of cannabis. Um, There's There's uh, some legislation has been proposed over the past few years. We we normally see uh, different 
legislators propose different pieces of legislation. Schumer is going to propose something later this year that will result in the, uh, you know, or, or would propose the delisting of cannabis from the Controlled Substances Act. Um, that would obviously be a, a huge game changer because it would, it would mean potentially cannabis being sold um, uh, nationally as a federally legal uh, substance. Uh, there's sometimes legislation uh, that proposes cannabis be um, regulated by the states, that there be some change to the Controlled Substances Act that would allow it to be regulated by the states. But I think uh, probably the thing that's most likely to happen may be uh, a change to some of the banking restrictions, which we could talk about. Um, uh, but right now, because of the federal prohibition on cannabis, banking of cannabis-related products is, uh, has been drastically inhibited. Um, and it's cash that only. really needs to change. It's cash only? Um, it, well, it is, it is largely a cash-only business in some respects. Uh, I think more and more over time, there have been different banking alternatives. There are different, there are certainly banks that are banking the space. And in fact, in 2014, FinCEN provided guidance that would allow banks to bank the space. It's just that in order to do so, there are um, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of red tape that a bank has to go through in order to bank what's known as a marijuana related business. A lot of compliance red tape. Uh, which comes with a cost. And so a lot of banks have been reluctant uh, to bank cannabis, even though they could do it. Um, can we talk for a minute about cannabis beverages and what, why do you think that they've taken off so much recently? Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's sort of my favorite new topic. Me too. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's extremely exciting. Um, and uh, I, I, think, I think there's a lot of reason to be excited about it. Uh, and and uh, why, is it, why is it taking off in popularity? Uh, there are a few reasons and uh, maybe a little bit of a longer answer than, than you're looking for, but it, it, there are a few reasons that are worth explaining. Um, for one, um, I think cannabis beverages offer both new consumers to cannabis and existing cannabis consumers, an alternative that's healthier. Um, you know, smoking has become passe with mm -hmm. respect to you know, all kinds of uh, products that can be smoked, tobacco, vaping products that are tobacco or e-liquids. We had the vaping crisis in 2019. Um, and I think, I think you know, large, you know, smoking uh, is, is, is really not, even for existing cannabis users, not you know, the, the way they want to be consuming cannabis. Um, so I think for one thing, you have a healthier option with drinking uh, cannabis. Another thing is that cannabis uh, beverages 
can be more readily uh, regulated by the user. Uh, so, you know, a, uh, a right now cannabis products are generally sold as vapes, they're sold as edibles, they're sold as things that um, uh, fl uh, flower products, generally with very high THC contents. Um, some products could range, could be in 75 to 90% THC, which that's the psychoactive effect of cannabis, which you could imagine um, does convey uh, a pretty significant psychoactive effect. Not everybody's looking for that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also not easy to modulate when you, when you take one, say, vape hit of a 90% THC product you can't really modulate how high you're going to get. Um, cannabis beverages uh, offer uh, a consumer the ability to enjoy cannabis at very, very low dosages of THC potency. So for example, some of the drinks out there now, they, they contain just two milligrams of THC. You could have a 10 milligram bottle uh, a, a bottle of tea, uh, cannabis beverage with 10 milligrams of THC. But if you take just a few sips, you're only getting two milligrams. You could have a hundred milligram container of uh, cannabis beverage and you could take five milligram shots. And what this allows is for the consumer to have a very mild effect, almost like having a beer. Mm -hmm. And um, in fact, you know, in some ways, I like to analogize cannabis beverages to cannabis products as beer is to alcohol products. So, you know, beer has what, three to six, seven percent alcohol, whereas vodka or tequila might be 40 proof, 50 proof, 60 proof. And with cannabis product, cannabis beverages, you might get two milligrams of THC, very mild, versus a cannabis vape, which could be 90% THC. The vast majority of consumers are gonna want a lower THC effect, just like the vast majority of alcohol consumers consume beer more than they do tequila. Uh, and so one of the reasons for its popularity is that it can appeal, THC beverages can appeal to more people. And then I think the third thing, so it's, it, you've got it's healthier, it's more easily regulated by the consumer. And the third thing I think is it's discreet. You don't have the smell of, you know, I mean, cannabis obviously has a certain smell. Everybody knows when someone's smoking it. Um, <laughs> it can be it can be in a beverage, just like, you know, you could be having a glass of beer or a glass of wine and you can be having a, a cannabis beverage. So it can appeal to, it can be used in more situations. Does it have the same kind of delayed effect as an edible? No, and so that gets to the that gets back to sort of the regulated piece of this. What's what what we're seeing more and more cannabis beverage makers are utilizing technologies that are allowing for water soluble 
fast acting THC so that you can have a sip and, you know, within minutes, you can know how it's affecting you. And so when you, when you, when you combine fast acting water soluble THC with the ability to regulate the amount of THC you're ingesting, you can really have an experience that actually is as mild. Again, I, I, you could be, you know, it, it's sort of like the user is having a, the, 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 a calming experience. It's, it's much more in the background. It's not, you know, it's not an experience where you just want to sit on the couch and eat a bag of chips and listen <laughs> to good music. Kyle. Right. I mean, I, I, oh, I why are targeting me? Like you could have cannabis beverages at, at a, at a business cocktail hour and you wouldn't know. Um, and just like people don't do shots of tequila at your normal business cocktail hour. People aren't uh-huh. going to take <laughs> yeah. you know, high THC products at your normal cocktail business hour, but, but maybe, you know, two milligrams of THC, it actually just, you know, it has a calming effect, not a, we do, not a psychedelic effect. I was going to say, we do work in the alcohol industry. I have seen tequila shots more than once at cocktail hour, but overall, yes, I do agree with you. Um, perhaps you want to talk about um, how far the water soluble component of cannabis has come in the last couple of years or five or six years. It seems like that's been a big uh, technological uh, advancement that's yeah. really allowed cannabis beverages to proceed forward the way they have. I don't know if you had any commentary on that. Just that it's, it, it is, it is sort of really come into uh, uh, vogue this year. I mean, I think this has been over the last three or four months, we've really seen uh, cannabis beverage makers being able to market this. Mm. And, you know, the buzz in the industry is that this summer, if people are going to, you know, really, it's going to really take off this summer because you have a lot more choices with this water soluble, fast acting cannabis. I mean, they're just now an array of beverage options. Yeah. You know, as someone who's been sent samples, I don't know if that's legal or not, so I won't name brands um, of some of these products. Uh, yeah, no, I really do enjoy the fact that, uh, as you said, uh, the the quote unquote high uh, is more controllable and it it's, uh, tends to be on the uh, lesser side because, as you said, the THC levels are much lower in these products. You mentioned uh, uh, companies marketing these products, and that brings up the topic of what are some of the legal questions and issues surrounding cannabis drinks? I don't know if you want to dive into that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the the most prominent legal question or issue is the federal restriction on cannabis Mm -hmm. Um, and and the state by state uh, cannabis regulatory structure, which makes the distribution of cannabis beverages so much more unique than any other beverage. I mean, a cannabis producer can't uh, produce its, its beverage in one state and sell it in another state, right? And so that's different than any other beverage. I can't imagine there's another drink out there that you could only make it in California and you can't, I mean, you can only sell it in California, right? So um, not having the ability to distribute even regionally is a challenge. 
uh, it requires, I think, some very thoughtful approaches to distribution in order to make it profitable. Uh, one of the solutions, as I mentioned at the, at the beginning, is the licensing of cannabis brand beverage brand names. So you can get into some licensing arrangements. You could be the cannabis producer that has licensing arrangements for your brand in different states. And you're relying on cannabis operators in those states to produce a product. You know, it does create some questions about um, stability, repeatability, right? Can you have the same uh, product from state to state? And I think, I think you know, the beverage makers are, 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 are figuring that out. Um, there are, uh, in addition to just the federal state issue, Within states, you, know, you have, uh, at this point, you've got 37 states that have some combination of either medical and adult use or just adult use cannabis. Uh, many of those states have not legalized cannabis beverages. Mm -hmm. So in virtually every state where there's cannabis regulation, they limit the types of forms that it, cannabis can be ingested in. Maybe it's pre-rolled joints and flower products, edibles, tinctures, pills. Uh, Pennsylvania, for example, where I am, has not legalized cannabis beverages for its medical marijuana program. New Jersey, which just rolled out an adult use cannabis program, doesn't have cannabis beverages as part of that program. So, um, you know, one of the things that's kind of a... a a, a restraint on the industry, on the cannabis beverage market, so to speak, is the fact that even with states that have legalized, not all states are offering. And then there's a third level, which is that even in the states that are offering it, it can only be sold in dispensaries that are licensed by the state to sell cannabis. So not all dispensaries in a state will choose to market cannabis beverages, because unlike other products, there's a cost component to maintaining the inventory of a beverage. Maybe you need to buy refrigeration. You didn't mm -hmm. have to have that with other cannabis products. Maybe you need more shelf space. Maybe you need more inventory space. So, you know, there are these natural um, restrictions or impediments that result from this federal and state regulatory issue. Um, and then of course you have differences from state to state. So um, there might be uh, restrictions on the amount of cannabis that can be consumed, the percentages of THC you're allowed to have in a cannabis product from state to state. So if you're a producer and you're going to sell cannabis in multiple states or cannabis beverages in multiple states, you have to be really mindful of each state's regulations and you might have to customize your products depending on the state. So obviously there's a cost component and expense component to that. Um, and those differences exist with regard to labeling, packaging, um, and, and just general distribution. I mean, think about it like this. We have beverage companies who have mastered distribution of their beverages on a regional and national basis. They have fleets of trucks. They have refrigerated trucks. Um, you know, it, it, it certainly 
the efficiencies have been completely maximized. In a cannabis beverage, even the distribution of it has to be highly regulated. You can't just put it on you know, a refrigerated truck from some 3PL and have it distributed. You can't have it at a distributor or a warehouse or a wholesaler. Uh, you know, and so these are issues that cannabis beverage makers have to deal with. And you mentioned labeling and marketing uh, and packaging, how uh, different laws are state by state. Did you want to perhaps expand a little bit more into that of what, what you should be looking at in these brands and what is and is not allowed in terms of labeling and packaging? Yeah, I mean, it really, really varies from state to state. Mm -hmm. um, each state has uh, restrictions on the words that can go on the label in terms of a cannabis product, the images that could go on the label in terms of a cannabis product, um, the, the, the messaging with respect to THC, the messaging with respect to use by children, et cetera, uh, tamper resistant packaging. All of this is highly um, state specific. So what what's Pennsylvania is saying about the regular uh, packaging and labeling may be a lot different than Oregon. Oregon may be different than Washington and they're bordering each other in California. Mm -hmm. So it, 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 is, it is really um, unique. What, and, uh, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, I mean, um, just kind of going broader picture here. Uh, what do you think uh, federal oversight will look like when it comes in? I know you brought up a couple of potential yeah. next steps uh, that could be taken, especially uh, the Schumer piece, but you know, it, let's, let's be honest here. What do you actually think is going to happen? And when do you think that's gonna happen? Well, in terms of cannabis overall or cannabis beverages specifically? Um, why don't you start with cannabis beverages and then work your way into cannabis overall? Yeah, I think cannabis beverages ultimately are going to be an FDA regulated product. I mean, they, it wouldn't surprise anyone that just like all other beverages, there's some aspect of regulation by the FDA over cannabis beverages. Um, but I think, you know, the FDA can't really do that. It can't really take oversight over cannabis beverages until cannabis is federally legal because the FDA doesn't regulate things that are not federally legal, right? So the question I think is that what, you know, I mean, maybe it could, maybe it could do some kind of regulation of, can of cannabis beverages or at least provide some guidance um, as to cannabis beverages. But, um, you know, I think the, I think there's, it's just going to be incremental in terms of legalization. I think the first thing we're going to see is movement along the banking front. Uh, I think, I think most people think that there's something called, it's, it's called the safe banking act. Yep. And I think most people think that that has a chance to pass even this year. It just passed the house. Um, it's, it's passed the house a few times. Um, but, but it hasn't passed in the Senate, um, you, you, it, it is gaining a lot of momentum recently a National Association of Banks sent, you know, sent a letter in um, on banking. And I think that most people recognize that when you have $30 billion of the public fisc exchanging hands, but it's not there's no transparency mm -hmm. with respect to the federal government. 
that that is actually a public safety issue, right? Yeah. Like, how can we let so much money go unaccounted for, really? Um, yeah. And how can we let companies that are doing hundreds of millions of dollars of business each year not be able to use a bank for payroll, to use a bank for tax services, to have a checking account? I mean, none of these companies have access to uh, MasterCard and Visa in the same way that other merchants do. Uh, it's really mind boggling that we're this far in. We've got 38 states, so we're, you know, we're far more than half of the states have some form of legal cannabis. And none of these businesses in any of these states can bank the money they're making, the money that the revenue that's flowing through uh, this industry um, in a way that's, that, that other industries can bank it. And it affects also all of the companies that do business with yeah. the cannabis industry. Yeah, so it's asking for trouble. That's kind of the first step. And then, you know, maybe we get to a place where there's either a delisting of cannabis from the Controlled Substances Act. Maybe it's something in the form of states' rights. But I think in the, in the, the first step, the first increment is going to be banking. I just have one last question. What is a flower product? A flower product. So, um, you know, when you think of how cannabis was traditionally bought and sold, a bag of cannabis buds, right, or a, a joint. Um, when you walk into a dispensary these days, you can buy what are called pre-roll joints. Um, those are just, as they sound, pre-roll joints. Um, you can also buy a tin of cannabis flower. So you can open up the tin and there are five, six, seven buds of cannabis flower. So it's uh, a bud. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the bud of the plant. You can tell Melissa's more of an edible person. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. Well, I want to sound, you know, I want to sound cool when I go... Order so, some. <laughs> yeah, and we talk about it's it from, a, from an industry standpoint. We talk about it as, you know, you have, the, you have flower touching companies. So mm -hmm. banking, the banking restriction really impacts flower touching companies, companies that are touching the flower. Got it. All right. Well, that's all we have time for today. Uh, I want to thank Seth so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks again to all of our listeners for tuning in. Please do check out our next podcast when we cover another topic in the on and off alcohol industry. Until then, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.